Welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis, and I'm here today with my brother, Christian Lewis, who's asked me, what is New Wave? You can learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com, rate and review us on iTunes, or follow us on Twitter and Facebook for more info. Now let's get to the show. Welcome back to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Uh, today we are talking new wave and post-punk. Uh, Christian is on with me today. I'm Wyndham Lewis. And um, Christian the other day asked me, Wyndham, what is the difference between post-punk and new wave? And uh, I had a, uh, a nice, concise, I think it was about a 35-minute answer for him, uh, at which point he stopped listening. So we thought we'd bring it to you in a podcast. Um, please ask, you know, feel free to ask the question out loud. Well, I think uh, the, the question really is, yeah, what's the, what's the difference between post-punk and, and new wave? New wave is generally something that, you know, it, I've, I've sort of always thought of it as an as a all-encompassing term for everything with a really annoying synth in it uh, from, from the 1980s. But I think the first question, you know, I really wanted to, to start with here was sort of where and where and when did this thing happen and sort of what was the context for it? It's funny. I think, um, and thank you for asking, um, <laughs> I, I, uh, I think uh, it's funny having lived in it, uh, lived through it in real time and not having been, um, you know, at the, at the full height of my uh, ability to discern um, what was going on in the world. You know, I was a middle schooler, I think, when, uh, or, you know, elementary to middle school when it was starting, and then, uh, you know, through high school in the 80s. Um, really, to me, uh, they seem to be retrospective kinds of labels that are put on things. I mean, New Wave was a, a term that was kicked around back then, certainly, and New Wave bands sort of had a look and a sound, um, whereas post, in post-punk... Um, was really just that. Um, it was everything that came after punk, as was New Wave, really. Uh, so to me, it was more of an era uh, than a real discernible uh, genre of music. It's sort of anything that came after... And, and you know, understand, too, that the, the sort of punk sonic boom, um, you know, really... Uh, came to be around 70, you know, 76 to 78 and, and fizzled out pretty quickly. I mean, those Sex Pistols, you know, don't forget, only really put out one album. So um, this whole idea of punk, it, punk did shatter, um, you know, it did sort of, it came in like a lightning bolt. It really did have a real, you know, honest to goodness, uh, world-changing effect Some on earth things. Earth-shaking, yeah. Yeah, it really did. I mean, it, it, it completely blew everything up. But there was a point after where everything that wasn't, you know, straight ahead, sort of classic rock sounding stuff, and that's from both sides of of the Atlantic. I mean, you know, everything that wasn't, um, you know, uh, Yes or uh, the Steve Miller band, um, you know, sort of fell into this new wave category. At the very beginnings, uh, people like Tom Petty and the Pretenders who have become, you know, sort of 
iconic classic rock figures were thought of as new wave. And I think it's largely just because they were young and, um, you know, heretofore un, um, okay. So, so it undiscovered. borrowed, so it borrowed a little bit from the, from the aesthetic of punk, certainly like, uh, I mean, physically it sounds like it's partly the way people were dressing. It was sort of very fashion forward. Um, but also, uh, borrowing from some of the more sort of aggressive sounds of maybe the Clash or, or Pistols or Ramones or something like that. Um, although describing the Ramones in retrospect as having an aggressive sound is kind of funny. Um, to you. Yeah, exactly. Um, I've, I've always made the point, uh, this is this is a long-running inside joke, but I've always made the point that those guys sound like the Beach Boys to me. So... Um, uh, which is which is what happens when you end up growing up listening to to Mission of Burma, and then subsequent to that, even you know bands like Proto Martyr or something. It just which is which is all sort of very dark and angular. But um, no, I mean I think back to the original point here. Um, so the so the when is really so following seventy six to seventy eight. So in the late seventies and then then early eighties, um, and the where is what U S and U K only were they different in each place or yeah they were very different in each place and it, but i think uh, mtv became the sort of great uniter one of the things okay. that goes sort of unsaid or uh, you know unremembered or re-remembered about mtv is that when it started off when it kicked off in 81 and i actually had mtv uh at the very beginning so um and very very few friends so i was a i was a uh yeah, I was watching it at any chance possible. This is the the know, buggles the, the, couple, the buggles song that launched a thousand ships, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, this is pre Thriller and pre all the you know sort of eighty four, which was the reestablishment. I think of of rock stardom with Springsteen and Madonna and all that stuff. But from eighty one to say you know late eighty three, eighty four, MTV was scrambling to find content in the same way that uh, you know things are happening on the internet now there was just there was time to fill and there weren't a lot of bands that did promotional videos so they clung to those bands that did make videos which tended to be (laughs) younger good-looking british bands so you you know and i'm not just talking about duran duran who became massive stars out of this but bands like ultravox they were playing madness a lot they were playing um, you know, they were playing any number of things. Adam and the Ants got a lot of play. Altered Images, uh, you know, um, all, uh, Heaven 17, Human League. Uh, soft these bands, those, that, yeah. yeah, they were they were all getting airplay on this American through this American format that nobody was familiar with, and uh, I think they were as shocked as anybody. But then there was people who actually learned early on that they could formulate uh, an image. Um, you know, sort of borrowing some of the rougher elements of punk rock and then tidying them up. People like Billy Idol, who I was never a fan of, but who, I have to say, was pretty goddamn smart when it came to uh, manipulating uh, the new medium that was in, that was there. That said, um, I really do think that, uh, retrospectively, people who are sort of music geeks like to think of the bands that they like as post-punk and the bands that they don't like as new wave New Wave can be a bit of a pejorative in this case. So, you know, bands like Gang of Four, I mean, albums like Entertainment, or Pill, Metal Box, or even, you know, The Pretenders, or Elvis Costello, or, or the people that, you know, are sort of um, USDA choice, you know, critics darlings, are considered to be sort of post-punk. The people that, you know, took punk and then made it more literate. When in all actuality, all of these people sort of appeared on the scene at the same time, and they were all sort of thrown into the same 
uh, mishmash. Another thing that I would offer one uh, alternative explanation there, though, which is that the the bands that you all just named or that you just named were basically guitar rock versus shit with synths, and I really do think like the synth specifically is part of what turn I mean part of one of the pre-qualifiers for or pre-qualifications for a band in the in the early 80s anyway to sort of get filed away into the into the new wave category. Don't you well, think? Well certainly when anybody uh, sort of uh, co-ops that sound now they're seen as like an 80s retro uh, new wave uh, devotee. I mean a band like Cut Copy who does it really well. Yeah. Um, you know they they're But sort I would of say the the I would say the The is a new wave band, not a post-punk band. I love the The. I do too. Um, so, in many respects, again, it is, it's just that instrument. But no, but then it, I mean, yeah, there is some of that. Um, but I also think that you know, there's some pretty, there was some pretty edgy uh, electronic music back then, and then there was stuff like uh, Devo. Uh, do you consider them post-punk? Or I don't know what the fuck them? to consider Devo. I've never understood what to consider Devo. That's think. pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> that I is the Stump good. the Schwab question of uh, music podcasting. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Um, actually, though, uh, I will. I have to give you this one aside because it's, it's one of my favorite stories I've ever read. And going back and, and uh, doing a little research on post-punk and new wave took me back to the Simon Reynolds uh, book, Rip It Up and Start Again, which is a fairly comprehensive uh, history of post-punk new wave uh, circa 78 to 83 or 4 I think uh, it is proof positive that I am too much of a music geek because I read a 500 page book on this very uh, sort of finite moment in uh, music history but one of, the, one of the anecdotes that he digs up and this is one of my favorite things that I've ever read was that in the late 70s the New Musical Express, which, you know, people over here thought was, you know, so cool because it was British. There was this very, you know, uh, there was a huge disconnect between England and America at the time, and it was largely communications-based. Um, you know, we didn't share a lot of media. We didn't, you know, it was expensive as hell to make phone calls. It was expensive to import records, and those things were all barriers to shared um, culture. Uh, but the f- one of the funniest things, Enemy, which you know you could buy off the rack here for like twelve dollars, uh, because it was a foreign magazine, was you sort of noticed a trend in America, which was that there were a bunch of really cool bands coming from one place in the states, and it was Devo, The Pretenders, Perubu, The Dead oh my Boys, God. Dayton, <laughs> or Cleveland. So, so they ran a uh, contest in the late seventies, which was win a trip to Cleveland <laughs> slash Akron. <laughs> Obviously oh, having man. absolutely no idea what they were doing. And uh, I, I, you know, I can't remember the outcome. I, I'm not sure if, if some lucky bastard some from you know, Bristol yeah. <laughs> uh, won this, won this uh, all-expenses-paid trip to Akron. But uh, it, awesome. it, to me, there, there was, I, I've actually seen a printout of um, the, con- the contest as it was advertised in the anime. It was pretty fucking funny. That's pretty incredible.
Okay, so this is the this is where we go to the multiple choice round of, of questions here. Um, I have basically I, I sort of when I was thinking about how I was gonna how I was gonna quiz you on this or or you know draw some information out of you, I, I came up with three sort of models or ideas for um, how sort of new movements or or uh, large you know trajectory changes in, in music take place like um and the first one is you know it's a continuation or extension of an idea to which i would point to uh sly and the family stone sort of emerging out of james brown that's a pretty logical linear path the second option is it's a reaction uh against an idea so this is you know the sex pistols reacting to like anybody who knows how to play an instrument um and then the third is like i think keith emerson is kind of the you know Keith Emerson, uh, I think you can just hold up as yeah. the as the enemy, right? Yeah, exactly, um, and uh, absolutely, um, and and then the bastardization of an idea is the third one, which is like the idea that you know Winger was basically growing up listening to Zeppelin and then decided that they would do their version of that, and what but Nirvana begat Stone Temple Pilots, yeah, yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, I think so. Of those three, which of the three would you say that this is, or did it start out as one and then become another? I think in retro, I think it's a lot of retrospective um, filing away. My point, I guess, when you said when you brought up the fact that the bands that I listed were guitar bands, and you know those bands that you think of as post-punk, all I'm saying uh, is that there was not a group thought of as post-punk and a group that was thought of as new wave, it all sort of got lumped together at the time and now retrospectively gets divvied up into those two categories. But at the time, you know, bands like Gang of Four, Wire, all the, all the, you know, sort of guitar bass bands and all the synth bands and, you know, we're sort of coming, but I also, I would say that all the sort of singer songwriter, type of of acts too i mean i consider the pretenders to be a very literate good you know source of song smithery and also elvis costello joe jackson um the jam uh when they were sort of edging from uh their you know punk rock semi-punk rock beatlesy kind of thing to their you know blue-eyed soul thing i think all of those bands were sort of lumped together because they were coming out at a time and they weren't very easily classifiable. I mean, some of those bands have nothing in common. And then you got uh, the bands that were pure uh, synth, which were, you know, the Human League, Heaven 17, Depeche Mode. And they were, re- I mean, there's really great songs in there. Heaven 17 particularly, uh, I think, is kind of forgotten over here. But uh, they were a terrific band. And I think that it was sort of anything that was new that wasn't uh, punk or super political. And, and a lot of it was political, so I shouldn't say that. Anything that was new that wasn't abrasive was sort of lumped into this one category. Okay. And that's... now, historically, you can pick it into in different subcategories. Was that something that was projected on them? Like, it, I, th- I think you mentioned um, that, you know, it, it's sort of a term the way that maybe hipster is applied pejoratively or not even that pejoratively but it's sort of used uh to describe a certain um partly sort of generation a certain location and a certain um set of well mostly consumer preferences i guess now well, um, i've but yet to, i've yet to meet anybody in, in your neighborhood 
who self-identifies yeah. as a hipster. Largely, it's a pejorative that comes from people who Older could easily people. be classified. Well, not necessarily. I think uh, a lot of it's hipster on hipster violence. Um, oh, no. It's, I a, think it's that, the tragedy of our time. It's, yeah. But I, I do find that, you know, I, I, I see people who I would consider hipsters, I mean, in, in, in a non-pejorative way, you know, people who dress in that, you know, sort of Brooklyn uniform when I'm in Williamsburg, who will disparage other people as being hipsters and, and not have any uh, notion whatsoever that, that uh, of how silly that sounds because they look exactly like the people that they're uh, uh, land-basing. Yeah. And we will, I, will, I will not put you on the spot and ask you to name any of our friends um, uh, nope. who, who fall into that category, but, that's, but, uh, but I, guess I see the, what you the, mean, though, yeah. The parallel there was that nobody self-identifies as a hipster, and I don't believe that anybody in the late 70s, early 80s came out and said, I want to be a new wave band. I don't think anybody, I don't think that was ever um, an aspiration or a self-identification of any of the bands that were coming out um, to identify as new wave. I think it was a journalistic uh, designation that came out of, you know, really not being able to name what came after punk. Punk was pretty pretty cool and people who were in the punk scene identified as being in the punk scene um by the time it had sort of fully flowered people who came after were just sort of you know blanketedly uh designated as new waivers and you know there was i mean there were subcategories within it i mean there were the new romantics who were sort of uh you know big hair and uh uh they were very synthy uh, i would think you would throw you know, uh, Adam and the Ants, um, even Roxy Music at that time, um, Classics Nouveau, anybody who sort of made themselves into part of of the visual, uh, Visage particularly, uh, Steve Strange, who was a club owner in London. You know, it was there was a very, I think it was you know, like the new romantics were considered a subgenre at the time. But it was all part, you know, I think it was all blanketedly called New Wave. Okay, so it seems like, like a lot of, uh, like a lot of sort of cultural movements that we would see now, it's sort of, when you, when you first have the embattled, real t- small minority, people wear it like a badge of honor, but the second that goes mainstream, it's sort of like, it's less cool, and you don't necessarily want to be associated with it as closely. So yeah, I guess Duran like, Duran coming out were considered New Romantics. ABC, okay. yeah, Spandau Ballet. It Spandau was Ballet of, is the one I is like the yeah that was the one that I was I was thinking of most closely. Which which of course that that uh, produced a pretty entertaining documentary about Soho and that very heavily padded shoulders on everybody's oh, yeah. part. I think um, so. Okay, and then the it was a I, moment. I guess the last then, uh, the, the well, last no, thing I was gonna I, oh go ahead. No, I was just gonna say um, just to complete the thought because I'm sort of staying heavily on in the English side of things. In America, there was also a new wave, which was much more rock based. I guess um, bands like The Knack were considered new wave. Um, you know, people like Marshall Crenshaw were considered new wave, even though you know now you'd refer to him as a singer songwriter or power uh, pop. Yeah, power pop. Uh, but even you know, I think Dwight Twilley was considered new wave. Like I said, Tom Petty. Uh, was on the verge of being considered new wave if he hadn't gotten more popular um, and sort of broken out. Um, so there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of bands that I guess you would consider more straight ahead rock and roll here um, that were considered new wave. The Tubes and uh, Oingo Boingo and 
um, you know, all sorts of stuff. So where, I mean, where do you see it now? Where do you see the legacy? Is it something that anybody, you know, there are the really referential places that I think I can sort of, um, that, that I think I can pick it out. So maybe a band like Future Islands or something, because again, I, I go back to the, I go back to the synth as being the thing that, that most closely sort of connects or, yeah, or distinguishes it from, from other um, categories and genres for me. Uh, but I mean, are there any, are there any other places where, you know, you you can see the influence really sort of pervasively um, in somebody's music. I guess that uh, you know that you know when I think about things that seemed radical back in the late seventies, early eighties. I mean, people talk about Elvis Costello as being the angry young man, and yet you know, Allison was a hit at the time, which is you know something that you know our mothers consider to be you know soft rock or easy listen or you know more or less easy listening. Um, it, it, you know, what, what seemed radical at the time is sort of toned down into influential, you know, music. I think there, that was sort of the dawn of a certain type of singer-songwriter. Um, you know, I think Dylan launched a thousand, you know, hundred million singer-songwriters, but I think Elvis Costello really launched a different kind of confessional singer-songwriter um, that's, you know, obviously still has a ton of influence today as he is still operational today. Um, I think when, I think it was a technology shift too. Uh, there's a real difference to me in my ear of things that came before 82 and things that came after 82. And that distinction is really based on the, uh, the advent of the electronic drums. Uh, there was, when, if you listen to a song like Cars by Gary Newman, it's a lot of synths but it's real drums. And I think that sound is really great and really cool. And it's what saved, uh, I think synth music from sounding overly soft and, and, um, sort of naff. But as you progress onward, um, you get electronic drums, even in rock songs and, but particularly in synth rock songs. And I think that kind of took, a bit of the driving edge off of uh, some of some of the songs that would have been better served with with a real drummer or a real bass player as opposed to you know pre-programmed stuff. And I you know I like Depeche Mode, but you know, to me they were always a band that uh, was too heavily dependent on technology. Uh, I think they would have been better served to place it. I mean they they re. Uh, rediscovered it subsequently. I mean, with songs like Personal Jesus, where you have a guitar riff and things like that. But, you know, for several years, they drifted along in that, um, you know, synth-only and electronic drum space, which, you know, I 
like I said, I'd, it, weirdly, I think it aged well. Uh, but it, to me, it was it was kind of off-putting even at the time. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, I think uh, the the big shift that we've seen since then is that you know you have electronic drums, which have of course been absorbed, and really I think now, but they're complementary now. Well, not dominated by you know the the world of hip hop, right? I mean, it's not it's it's hip hop and rap have taken the electronic drums and I think done extraordinary things with them in the last. 25, 30 years, obviously. But there, there's a difference between uh, drum samples and drum loops and and recordings of real drums and, and electronic the drums, actual yeah. drum pads. The drum right. pads is what I'm talking about, that that it was really, uh, that, you know, I thought... No, it sounds like a piece of sheet metal falling 200 yards away inside a large concrete room. Um, I, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. It's, it's such a distinct sound. Um, to your point, I mean, I, I guess... Well, one of the things I was, I was actually going to ask uh, when you mentioned that was, so Blue Monday, that's real drums, right? Yes. Of course. Everything New Order was always real drums, yeah. Actually uh, not. Uh, they they got a little bit into it um, around the time of Low Life uh, and a little bit later than that. But for the most part, okay. uh, they they stuck to real drums and, and their you know, real bass, which was crucial. Yeah. They did get fairly synth heavy um, at times, but they always they were always a band live that that were you know drum kit and a bass. Uh, they weren't all sitting at synthesizer. It wasn't craft work, uh, but even craft work had real drums at the beginning. Yeah, well, I think that that probably just about wraps up uh, wraps up the questions I've got here. I feel like I've learned a lot. Well, that's good. Yeah, You're a good pupil. exactly. Oh well, thank you very much. You're like and, the Yoda uh, of new wave. Yeah, I am. I'm the. Uh, um, but one one thing I wanted to ask you uh, today, given that we're we're signing off, is what are you listening to these days? So uh, right now, actually, I think the the concert that I'm planning on going to see next week is um, by somebody named Brianna Barbara, um, who I guess is based around here in Brooklyn, and she's got a, a pretty cool voice, um, so very you know bluesy, um, big range, uh, and. Uh, pretty pretty great pretty great guitar licks so um, I'm looking forward to seeing her at Union Pool um, coming up in uh, later this month and I actually saw her open for the Mystery Lights about a month ago um, but only caught half of the set and was pretty impressed so definitely want to definitely want to check it out further how about you nice um, listening I don't know I went and saw Manchester by the Sea yesterday this uh, what are, what are you listening to uh, question is is a catch all uh, for any sort of uh, listening, watching, viewing kind of thing. But uh, I I saw Manchester by the Sea yesterday, and I really liked it. And I always give the this award annually, as I am a voter. Uh, annually, I give the award to the, uh, also being a, a very stoic wasp, um, the movie that is uh, would most likely make me cry if I cried at movies. And Manchester by the Sea runs away with that prize this year. So you're listening to the muffled sniffles of your own uh, of your own sobs. Is that right? That was internalizing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So good movie though. You would recommend it or not? I really liked it. Uh, it is a very affecting, heavy but great. Um, I, I'm a huge fan of Kenneth Lonergan. Uh, I think he writes beautifully. I think he understands that emotions aren't absolute for people and that uh, epiphanies are for jerks. So, <laughs> and mine. Uh, nice. Anyway. With that awesome <laughs> lesson, I think, uh, I think we can call it a day. Excellent. All right, you soon. take it easy. Thanks.
That's it for today's episode of the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes, follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and drop us a line at brotherpod.com. Thanks very much to Damien Kendall for producing, and from Wyndham, Jeremy, and Christian, see you next time.